Welcome to the Potion Podcast, your raw look at the hospitality industry, brought to you by SHC. This week's episode is proudly sponsored by Bar Green Ellington for all your restaurant and bar needs. Visit bargreen.com for the full portfolio. Yes, we can. How are you? Good. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a bit of an honor. I, uh, I really love the program that Commotion puts on, and uh, I know how hard it's been for you guys in this year's cohort to and last year's cohort to actually pull off a lot of these things. Like, I remember doing it at this time last year. I was doing a really massive dinner at the Songies, and I'm like, and we wouldn't be able to have 100 people in a room anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It's been it's been a turn, and everything being online, especially. Um, but it's been great. As you know, like everyone is great. But thank you for coming. Um, yes, thank you so much for supporting us. No, thank you. I saw it, and I was like, oh, you know what? I I really need to. I need to finish my my uh, program because I actually had to fly out to Singapore. Um, and work in Singapore for five months in my last my last semester, and so um, I actually had to divert my my year, and then of course COVID and everything else. So I'm hoping um, Carl was on my back the other day about finishing up this year. So I've I've got to get back to the books at the end of this year. Totally. <laughs> Perfect. Well, my name is, um, I know Belle got in contact with you, but my name is Anna Cabasso, so I will be the moderator today. Um, so I guess, uh, would you like to give a little introduction? Um, talk about yourself a little bit? And yeah, so um, I, I've been a bartender for 22 years. I still bartend on a regular basis. Um, I, I'm running a bar called Clive's Classic Lounge, which we're going to get to in a bit because it's my, it's my baby that I've had for a number of years and I sort of left and, and went and did a whole bunch of stuff. So technically I'm a hospital. I like to call myself a hospitality entrepreneur. It took me a really long time to do that. Um, I run five different companies here in Victoria with three different partners. Um, I do a twice weekly podcast. Um, I do a daily craft spirits show. Um, I'm about to launch my third book and I'm in the process of writing my fourth. Um, and then I work on run a bar here in Victoria. So, um, I'm a little bit different. I work about a hundred hours a week. Um, and I'm very comfortable working a hundred hours a week. Um, so yeah, I've, I, my, my upbringing and me, me growing up, I moved a lot in in school. So I went to 14 different schools in 12 years. Um, and so I moved to Canada in 2006 and left everything behind in Australia. Obviously, I'm not Canadian because of my accent. Um, <laughs> and so for me, I've been in the hospitality industry for so long. Um, and I've also had this entrepreneurial spirit that it sort of lent into it because I believe that hospitality is very diverse in everything you can do. So the companies I run, I run a consultancy company, which I do design and um, building bars and restaurants and distilleries. Um, I do training and educations. I've developed spirits. So I've developed four different craft spirits here in BC with my fifth coming out this year. Um, I have a marketing and media company called Acclamation, which we do everything from content creation, social media marketing, all the way through to web development and e-commerce. We launched that during COVID. So it was kind of weird launching a new company during a pandemic, but we did. Um, I have a little distribution agency, which we uh, we um, distribute and represent small craft brands. Uh, right now, we look after Okanagan Spirits and Non-Society, 
and then I have a uh, branding and creative house um, with a very talented graphic designer partner, and we do branding and logo design and packaging for the drinks business. So we're doing two distilleries right now up island. So we're doing two two packaging and logo development packages for uh, two distilleries up island. So you can see just from my intro, just all the stuff you can do in the hospitality sphere, um, along with running Clive's Festival Lounge. So Clive's was my, I would say my first cocktail bar here in Canada. I started running that in 2009, and I ran that from 2009 to 2013. Um, we became one of the most awarded cocktail bars in the country at that time. Um, I think we pretty much are still to a degree. And then while I'm still doing all the stuff that I'm doing right now, um, the opportunity came to go back and run it again. And I spoke to my wife, and she's like, I'm like, I'm already really busy, honey. Like, I don't really have time to be doing this. And she's like, yeah, but you'll be really upset. If you go back in six months' time and someone else is running it and it's not the way you would have run it, you would be, you'd be kicking yourself. So I'm like, you're right. I'm too much of a perfectionist. And so I decided to take it back over. So I'm there part-time, what most people would call full-time, but I call part-time. So I'm there about 30 hours a week. Um, and so I run the program and the bar there, um, and we've got some really cool, fun stuff coming up for that. So I, I have a very diverse, I suppose, portfolio of things that I do, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> including my podcast and my books and stuff like that. So I like to keep busy, um, and that's sort of my intro. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> that's, that's very impressive. Um, what would you say it's the one that you're loving the most right now? Just like out of curiosity. Oh, see that that flicks from day to day. Um, like I'm at 328 daily shows for my craft spirit show on Instagram, and so I really just like that connection with the craft distilling movement. And then I'll flick over and I'll be talking to my partner in my distribution agency. I'll be talking about which wineries and breweries we should be hitting up and then I'll be flicking over. So every day is like a sort of rolling. I have a list of things that I do and I go top to bottom. And so I, I sort of go through and everything has its pros and cons. I really like the fact that um, I have such a diverse sort of element to my job that it's sort of applying what a regular Friday night service is. So everybody thinks that's really crazy, like what I do and how I achieve it and all that sort of stuff. But I'm like, it's no different to working behind the bar on a Friday night when you have six chits in front of you with all different drinks. You just take that chit, you bang down that chit, you go to the next chit, you bang down that chit, you go to the next chit. And that's how I sort of apply, that's how I sort of think about all the things that I'm doing. And that's how I sort of compartmentalize all of it. Like right behind my camera right here, I've got a big whiteboard that every week that I'll write up everything that I need to do for each company and each task and then that's my macro board and then every day I write out a big long list of stuff that I have to do that day so I don't have favorites each one gives me a little bit of different joy and challenge and stress um, but each one has its own little spot and I really enjoy I, I don't I had I've had a few people ask me like would you get rid of anything right now and focus on something and I'm like and I thought about it and I got asked like twice in like 48 hours and I was like, no, I literally wouldn't because it sort of defines my days. You know, I might be previewing a, a proposal for a new distillery package, but then I can go, okay, I'm going to stop there because I need to process that. I'll go taste some spirits and do some videos and then come back. 
And so there's always ins and outs. And like when I really just want to get away from it all, I'll just go to Clive's and do prep or clean or like do stuff that sort of grounds me back down to who I think in essence I still am is just, I'm just a bartender, you know, and just, I like the, the element and the, the game of bartending. So it sort of always takes me back to like, you know what, doesn't matter how, like how many speaking jobs I do or where I fly when I can fly again. Um, I still go back to just being bartender. That's amazing. That's incredible. <laughs> Perfect. So I'll start with the questions I have here. I bet we'll have many coming in as we go. Um, but what led you like into hospitality and or tourism? Like what was the thing that kind of like So my origin story for that's a little bit interesting because um, I know there's a lot of romantic there's a lot of romantic stories out there like, oh, I'm third generation hospitality person and my grandmother ran a restaurant and I grew up in the kitchen, blah, blah. I grew up in a big family. Um, we were truck drivers and landscapers. So throughout high school, I did that. Um, when I was 17, I left home and I just got a job at a hotel as a handyman because that's sort of my, that was what I was doing with my family company. Um, and then one night, the food and beverage director was like, hey, do you have black and whites? I'm like, yeah. He's like, go get them. So I jumped on train, went home, grabbed my black and whites, came back to work, worked a wedding that night. And I was like, oh, man, this is way cooler than what I do, like changing light bulbs and raking gardens. This is so much cooler than that. And so I started, like, really falling in love with the food and beverage scene. Like, my mother, like, coming from a big family, like, my mother wasn't a great cook. We didn't have salt and pepper in the house because – it was six kids, all 18 months apart, three of us going through puberty at one time. So it was like, it was like pounds of potatoes, a massive flat of meat in the in the oven, overcooked, thrown on the table, and then like prison rules to try and feed yourself at night. Um, so I never had any background of drinks or food or anything. So for me, it was like pulling back a curtain on like restaurant life. And growing up in the country, there's no restaurants really around. So you never went to a restaurant really growing up. So pulling back the curtain, I'm like, this is awesome and so i really just deep dived on it um obviously back then there was no internet at all like the internet didn't exist there was no social media so if you wanted to learn about anything you had to go to a bookstore and buy books and like pour through books um and obviously books back then weren't as well researched as we have access to now so i'd buy 10 books sit down go through all the history notes go through all the recipes and write, hand write them down and then go to the next book and co like cross-reference and then tweak it and then go to the next book and cross-reference again and tweak it. And that's sort of how I sort of built my my knowledge up on cocktails and history and recipes and stuff like that was this constant churning through cocktail books and cross-referencing and, and building my own sort of style of cocktail book and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, like that's sort of where I went. And by the time I was 21, I won my first – uh, national title, national bartending title. Um, that was in 2001. And then it sort of slid from there. I worked at a, really, a lot of really great, great cocktail bars in um, Brisbane, and that was my big focus. And then I got a couple of management jobs, and then finally I moved to Canada in 2006, and sort of the rest is sort of history. That's amazing. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so that's the only – like educate of course like not the only education because you've learned so much but like like on paper like was that the only thing you got like the yeah okay yeah like that 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 was the interesting thing because that was when i went back when i came back to Camosun in 2008 
team. Um, a lot of people are like, but why? Like you, like it's a advanced diploma. Like what? Why do you? What do you need that for? And I'm like, you know what? I'm I always am hungry for learning more. I think as more knowledge comes out, things change. And if you don't evolve and change the style that you do things in, then you're gonna sort of uh, you're sort of gonna just sort of fail and sort of drop off in the way of you the way you're thinking. So I turned 40 last year, and I was a 38 year old cohort. Oldest per uh, second oldest person in my group, um, but going back to school like helped me learn a ton of more about HR, a ton of more about like events management, marketing stuff like that. So for me, it, that thirst for knowledge is constant. And yeah, that was my that was my first formal education outside of high school was going back to Camosun in, in 2018. Wow, perfect. Um... Okay, well, I'll just keep going with the questions. Yeah, this is, this is great. <laughs> um, what advice do you have for, like, professionals entering this industry that isn't, like, obvious? Like, yes, like, you know, like, not so so general, more so, like, the ones that have stood out to you. And also not rah, 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 positivity all the yeah. time. <laughs> um, I think... I think the hard thing um, with the hospitality industry is that every venue and every hotel and every establishment is very, very different in the way they do things. And the stuff that you get taught at school, the stuff that you learn in the first venue you go to, the stuff that you learn in the third venue are all going to be slightly different. And uh, for leaders and professionals going into this, Always be aware, and I, I use this across the board, mainly for cocktails, but it can be used across the board. It's like there is no, there's plenty of wrong ways of doing things in the industry, but there's no right way. And there's a whole bunch of this sort of like massive gray area that we sort of live in, and we try and quantify it when it comes to the textbooks and school and stuff. We try and quantify this black and white, but I feel like there's a lot of gray with a little bit of black and white on either end of that. And so this adapt and it, the, the ability to adapt. Oh, oh. Did we get okay. lost? No, I hear you. Uh, I um, you. <laughs> the adaptability and the mentality to overcome, I think, is the biggest strength of any professional or anyone going into leadership. That understanding that you can't always get from A to B in a straight line. An A to B can be a curve, it can be a couple of steps left and right, um, but that ability to adjust and overcome is the key, I think, to being a really good leader because you've always got to be thinking on your feet. And everybody can say, oh, you're thinking on your feet, da, da, da. Like, but you really have to have that mentality that if the dishwasher breaks down, how do you fix it? Do you wait seven hours before someone does it or you do YouTube, how do you fix this model dishwasher? Um, and so on and so forth. So the adapt and overcome something is something that's really big for me. and I try and breed that into my whole team in the way that things aren't always going to go to plan. We, we have a massive plan and we try and do our very best to have a plan, but that plan isn't always going to go to accordance. So a Friday night you could plan everything, but as soon as that door opens, everything changes. And so I think adapt and overcome is like the biggest strength and the biggest key for most leaders to understand how to really lead a team and be strong. Totally. 
Perfect. So like, what about, what about, those are the do's. What about the don'ts? What about like that you've seen that it's like, ugh, like I will never accept this. And this is. I don't think you're always right. Don't accept that you're always right. Like it's good to be strong, but uh, I've worked with a lot of younger bartenders who, and and people in the industry who are much more talented to me than I was at their age. And that's just purely the, the society we live in now with, um, the amount of knowledge and the amount of everything that's sort of fed constantly digitally. Um, so I've changed the way I do things. I've changed the way I've talked um, using commotion as an opportunity. I did um, Dr. Susan Thiessen's class and interpersonal relationships and stuff like that. It changed the way I did a lot of things like on multiple, multiple levels um, in the way of speaking to people and it changed the, my mentality because I'm ex like my dad's ex-military, so I grew up in an ex-military family, big family, always working. That was sort of the mentality, and damn you if you don't. So it, it sort of built in self-awareness. Um, so I don't think I'm always right. I'm right in that moment. I'm right in that moment, but that my rightness could change in a split second because someone could come along with more knowledge or a different way to look at something, and we all have different outlooks on certain things and so I'm right in the moment I say something until someone says something that may completely change my mind and so as leaders like it's it's great to be the 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 foot on the on the ground general style military but at the end of the day you do have to grow especially in this day and age where there's a bigger generational gap in the workforce um, you need to learn how to adapt and evolve to understand completely what is going on in your in your workplace Totally. Yeah, I would, I will agree with you on that one, 100%. Um, and well, like, since it's a mentorship, um, like, meeting right here, do you, like, do you have mentors? Have you had mentors, like, along your career? Or not really? I, I actually did a podcast last week about this, about outgrowing your mentors. I've, mm -hmm. I've had a few mentors throughout my career. Not, not a huge amount, because... Growing up where I did, uh, my relationship with my family, I sort of was on my own for a number of years and I started to be self-sufficient. I had to learn a lot of the stuff myself. I learned how to cost cocktails. I learned how to run bars and, and do systems and stuff completely from reading magazines and books myself. So I've never had someone who I would say, like, you're my mentor. And I've had some more mentors as I got older. Um, but my, my whole thing with the podcast was can you outgrow your mentors? If your mentors aren't evolving, if your mentors aren't evolving with you. Like that's the whole point. You're, if you're a mentor to someone, they're growing, they're evolving, they're getting better. But it, unless you're growing and evolving and getting better, can that person outgrow you? And I've had a few mentors in the last couple of years, to be honest, that I've outgrown. Their, their views on the world, their, the way they talk to people, the way that they understand the industry as it's evolving, like literally so fast during COVID. Um, I've sort of passed them and I, I don't, view them as someone who I can just call and say, Hey, I need a little bit of help with this. So being on my own and being self-sufficient, I, sh I walk it through in my head as my own mentor, I suppose. And so okay. it's a little split personality. It's a little split personality, but I think, I think picking your mentors um, is important in a way that can this person continue to grow with you? Because you don't, you don't want to have someone hold someone in such high regard that is a possibility that in a number of years or decades that they'll no longer influence you the way that they did in the first day. So I, I sort of see mentorship as 
a, a two-way street, a symbiotic relationship where both individuals are continuing to grow. And the mentee, as they get better, should be influencing the mentor. And so that that's the sort of way I sort of see it. And I've had a ton of amazing, amazing uh, people in the industry who are much younger than me um, influence the way I do it so much, so much that I would never have expected. I built a great team for a couple of cocktail bars and they influenced me so far beyond what I could ever imagine. And again, I'm a 40 year old dude. Like, like these, like you would never think that a 26 year old bartender would influence the way you talk to people or the way you think about things or the way you absorb stuff. And so, yeah, I've had a few mentors, but it's hard. I've never really had that, those people that have stuck out that have continued to sort of help as I keep growing. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And what about mentees? Have you, like, are you mentored, a mentor to others? I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope I am. I'm hoping that I'm not having multiple coffee meetings every single week for people. So I, I have a lot of people, whether or not they're here in Victoria, obviously with the podcast, um, I've got a little bit more of a reach. Um, uh, I meet with at least two to three, I say kids, but two to three kids every single week for coffee and just if they reach out, we'll sit down and talk about like job prospects, the direction of their career, what they need to do, where they want to be. And so we backcast goals and I sort of help as best I can. Even today on TikTok randomly, um, I had someone comment on a, on a video and it was a bit of a cryptic one about not drinking. And I was like, Oh, why not? And, and they, they started talking about their dad was a drinker and, and beat them and also so I had a conversation on TikTok in the comment section about your dad not being the person who defines you, you define them. And I was like, and they're like, thanks for this. And I'm like, I'm just very self-aware of like myself to for my mother and my girlfriend. I'm like, well, I, I appreciate that. I respect that immensely. If you ever want to hit me up, hit me up on Instagram. And I have a lot of people who I will never meet possibly for the next 18 months, two years who hit me up on Instagram and say, Hey, I, I got, can I get some advice on this? I've done Skype calls and zooms and stuff like that with people who want to start podcasts or want to start their own businesses and stuff like that. So, um, I hope I'm a good mentor, but yeah. again, like <laughs> I hope I'm a good mentor. I, I give out advice and I hope that the people, I hope that the people that uh, are listening take it. Um, and they, I think sometimes they do and they get, they become very successful. Um, but yeah, I'm always open. I'm super transparent with everything that I do. And so for me, I don't have a false bravado of rah, 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 Tony Robbins sort of mentality. Like I'm very real. Like I have, I talk very openly about my mental health issues, which usually allows a lot of younger bartenders and longer, younger people in the industry to come to me and say, hey, can I chat about some issues I've been having? And I'm like, yeah, cool. Let's go, let's go do it. Um, and so I think being transparent as a mentor and not being that sort of gleamy, glossy sort of veneer of being awesome all the time. Like this industry is hard, whether you work for someone or you're an entrepreneur like myself, this industry is hard. And I think hospitality entrepreneurship is another layer of difficulty in the way that entrepreneurship is already hard. You're already hustling every day. You have great days where you have successes. Then you have bad days where you get told no, or there's radio silence on emails you've sent out, which is a lot of the time. Um, so I don't try and glean over it and make it like this polish, like, oh, I'm driving in my new car or I'm flying private, which I'd never do anyway. But 
like this sort of stuff. Like I don't, I, I could have worn a suit today, but I'm in my, my own branded hoodie, you know? So I don't glean over it because I don't want people who follow me and see me as a mentor or a thought leader in the industry to see some sort of fake bravado. Like I have, I'm not going to say the, I have bad days. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching myself. I know that it's commotion and I know that Bradley will drop me an email straight up the things that you can't swear in these sort of things, Sean. Um, so yeah, I try and be very real and transparent with a lot of people. And I think that leads to a lot of really honest and authentic mentorship. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just feeling comfortable, right? Like speaking yep. to you. Yeah. Um, and while talking about that, what would be something that, really stands out to you about like your mentees, like something that you really like when you're chatting to someone about it. Like, um, I think the end game is always to find the, the root of the underlying issue because recently I, I sat down with a, a restaurant manager and um, they were having a really hard time with operations and stuff like that. And we talked for like an hour about, um, financial, uh, like working on financials and understand P&Ls and all this sort of stuff. And then about an hour into the conversation, they mentioned that I'm a little bit too hard sometimes in the way that I, I, I put across my points. Like and it's usually via text or emails or stuff like that. And I was like, and they, they burst out crying and I'm like, okay, let, like, let's take this down a couple of notches. Like I've always talked to you that way because you run three restaurants or four restaurants. Like I always assumed that you were a strong person in the industry handling all the stress, that sort of stuff. What's really going on? And they were like, well, sometimes when you're really hard, like I'm not, I'm, I'm a little bit more delicate than you think I am. And I'm like, then why don't you say that? And like, why, why have we spent an hour talking about restaurant operations and P and L's and financials and stuff when we really should have just been talking straight to the root that you feel stressed and you feel overwhelmed and you're not handling it very well. Let's talk about why you're not handling it very well. Let's talk about family pressures because it's a family business and stuff like that. Let's talk about all that. And at the end of the conversation, I was like, I don't care about the business. Like I consult for them. I don't care about the business, but you need to be more open. If I've been hard on you, I've been hard on you because I thought you could take it. Like if you, if you want me to be more delicate, I was like, but all this, you need to go see someone and talk to someone. And, and talk about medications and talk about how to deal with this. And I was like, and if the, the root issue is that your family is not pressuring you to do this business and to run the family business and they're happy to close up and just cash out, then why are you doing it if you're not happy? Yeah. And so if you're not happy doing this and there's no external pressure for you to, to be doing this, then why are you doing this? And at the end of that conversation, that's where we went. I was like, I really don't care if your business is being successful or quite, if you're not happy, then you need to change something. And so for me, my driving force is always ending the conversation to make sure that they're, what they're doing is making them happy. Cause a lot of people get caught up in, they do look at myself and my career and they're like, well, I want the trips to, to or like when we can trip. Uh, I want the trips to certain cities. I want to speak at these shows. I want to do junkets and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, but I've been doing this 20 years. And there was 10 years of really dark, like just grinding out before I got offered anything. And even then, being based here in Victoria, I've got to work twice as hard to prove I'm half as good as anyone in Vancouver or Toronto. And so even at my level of career, my age, I'm still grinding as hard as I was when I was 29, even though my body's telling me to stop. 
Um, so for me, at the end of any mentorship is that reevaluation of are you happy? If you aren't happy, if you think that getting XYZ is going to make you happy, but right now is not making you happy, then you need to change your goal setting. And so happiness for me is the, the root of it all. And if happiness isn't being done, then you need to change up everything you're doing. Yeah. Wow. That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, perfect. Well, we have a couple of questions here on the group chat. Um, and it says, what is the biggest challenge you have ever faced and how did you overcome it? <sighs> so yeah. many of those. Um, I think it's dealing with other people. And it's always de dealing with other people. Um, Little Jumbo, I left Clive's in 2013 to open Little Jumbo um, with a couple of partners. It was my concept, my my idea, my everything. And after about, a, uh, after about eight months, my partner and I really started having big, big falling outs um, for various reasons. I was still young, I think, 33. I look back now, I'm like, man, I was so young. Um, I think understanding where another person is headed because nine times out of 10, if you're in business together or you're working together and this goes to any like people relationship, nine times out of 10, you're, everybody's going for the same goal, especially if you're a leader, you set a goal and everybody's going to that goal, but not everybody's going to be on the same path that you are. So you've got to mitigate this um, expectations of where this path is leading. So you may be on the freeway, the other person's on a bike path. Um, and, and this is where you need to sort of mitigate that the person-to-person -person relationship and understand that you're both going towards the same goals, just not necessarily in the same mode of transport. And so I think dealing with people and dealing with the understanding of relationships, um, again, that's why I say like about evolving, not being a bull in a china shop. Um, I've understood that I'm six foot five and 280 pounds. I'm a big guy um making sure that i hold myself correctly in relationships and in meetings and stuff to not come off as too intimidating because i'm imposing as hell like if i stand next to you it's intimidating even if i don't mean well, to be yeah that's six five i'm like whoa <laughs> so um i think that that's the key is like understanding that your way is the way that you want to do it their way is the way they want to do it but chances are you're going to the same goal just in different ways. And so I read a book by Stuart Diamond, Getting More. And I think for that, for personal relationships, that book changed a lot of the ways I'd change the dynamics in my relationships. I wouldn't get frustrated at people because they don't understand it the way I understand it. You know, it was a big thing, like going back to school, having a very young cohort, uh, doing group projects, which I, I know everybody has to do during their cohort um, and you have different people maybe not completely understanding the assignment and then you have people who are excelling at understanding the assignment but how do you bring it all together because everybody wants to finish the assignment and get a good grade so how do you make it happen so I think the hardest thing has always been relationships with people and that's why transparency and honesty for me now is a big thing it saves my stomach ulcers means that I get everything out on the board sometimes it comes off as a little bit too forward and too like aggressive i suppose but it's been said there's no animosity there's no passive aggressiveness there's no under, underlying message it's just out there this is how i feel you didn't make me feel great if i didn't make you feel great my team and i like if i get upset which i rarely do these days but if i get upset 
we'll chat about the end of the shift. We never leave a shift where there's animosity. Like we talk about it, we get it done, I deal with it straight away and we move on. Is that a good answer? That is a great answer. No, I totally, I totally, dude, yes, ditto. <laughs> um, and then from Victor, what do you consider is the most important skill in hospitality? Um, yeah. I think never, never, not never standing still. You get a lot of people who get comfortable in staying in your jobs, and I think there's a bit of self awareness in there too. But never standing still and always pushing yourself to be better. Like I, I worked a ton of jobs when I first started in the industry because I basically went to a venue, absorbed everything I could absorb, moved on to the next one. And when you're young, you're young. So at the end of the day, like if you're 21, 22, getting into a business, don't think you need to find a job that's going to last you 20 years. Like find a job that you're really happy with, do whatever you can to learn everything you can in that job, even above your pay grade, even for free, come in early, shadow people, see if you can do all this sort of stuff and then get another job, move on to the next step. And it's, it's, it's step by step by step. You're not on a, one of those flat escalator runways at the, at the airport where you just jump on and it runs you along. Like you've got to step up steps. And so never staying forward. Like most people know me as the cocktail guy, but at the end of the day is that I can take over your social media or do your e-commerce or me and my team. And we can do all this sort of stuff. And so I've never wanted to stand still and just be known as that one thing. And so I think as a hospitality skill, not staying still and always pushing forward is a massive thing because I lift, I do lift, I do work to, uh, sorry, I live to work. A lot of people work to live. Um, and I always want to be better than the person I was the day before. So every morning I wake up, I'm like, what am I going to do today to be better than I was yesterday? And that's my constant driver. And so my dad always said, regardless of what you do, he never had expectations on us or anything like that. Regardless of what you do, always be the best at it. But my mum always used to say, is regardless of how good you get, there's always someone out there that's better. And so this yeah. massive, massive dichotomy from my parents have given me horrible psychological flaws in my life, <laughs> <laughs> but, but has sort of pushed me to be a better person, a better husband, a better father, a better business person, a better bartender, um, just everything. So not standing forward and not like – just resting on your laurels, just pushing always. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Wait, so so which one do you go by? Become both. the best? Someone's ever above? Both. Okay. <laughs> like I said, like, I've worked with some amazing young people in the industry that have changed the way I've done stuff. So there is people out there better than me. There's tons mm -hmm. of people out there better than me. So what am I mm -hmm. going to do to be better? Yeah. So I'm going to learn what they've pitched to me even more so in more depth and then go forward again. And yeah. so I, I work with both, but I, I do, I do believe in my dad's like, regardless of what you do, like he said, if you want to be a dish digger, just make sure you're the best dish digger. Like mm -hmm. he, doesn't, he yeah. never cared about what we did as long as we were happy and we were the very best of what we could do. That's amazing. Yeah. Perfect. So that's all of the ones we have done this one. No. Okay, so I'll continue with mine. Um, this is, well, let's go with this one. How has career-like accidents opened up your thinking on this industry? Oh, so like, yeah. that's a great one. Okay, good. That's a, really, that's a, that's a fantastic one. So um, 
I look now more so as I, I had a really big reflection point when I turned 40, um, looking back at my career and who I had, what I achieved and stuff like that. Um, and every time something that like just guts me like a fish and devastates me mentally, um, and like emotionally, um, something always happens straight after. And so it's just, it's something that I sort of look at as like, so if I opened a bar in 2017 called Foxtrot Tango Whiskey, and unfortunately we closed after four months for some licensing issues that the hotel we were in had screwed up. And I put my heart and soul in that place um, and really just opened up a fantastic um, venue. I thought that it was going to last. And once it closed December of 2017, I was just like, oh, this is just, again, horrible. After Little Jumbo and FTW, massive losses in my career. I uh, helped my good friend Solomon reopen Pagliacci's. So I did the design work for Pagliacci's and the bar and everything. So Solomon and I designed the bar together. Uh, and I worked there for a bit. I went back to school. Um, during that time, I pitched uh, my second book, Great Northern Cocktails. It got picked up. And then... In 2018, I was in Portugal speaking at the Lisbon Bar Show, and I got a random message from an old friend who was based in Singapore, and he's like, listen, we're opening up a new place. I think you should come over and open this. And I'm like, oh, wow. So I did a Zoom call with him in while I was in, in Portugal. I came back for a week and had contracts signed, tickets booked, came back from a week from Portugal, and flew out to Singapore. In a space of a week and a half, two weeks, I went from working at PAGS, doing commotion, and sort of and writing my second book to, oh, I'm going to go open three venues in Singapore in the next six months. And so if FTW hadn't happened, chances are Great Northern Cocktails wouldn't have been written. I wouldn't have started my consultancy company up again. I wouldn't have gone to Singapore, which I spent five and a half months in Singapore, which was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Um, I was away from my family for that time, but in an amazing city in a different country, there's not many people who can say that they work somewhere for five and a half months opening three venues, um, which I would never suggest opening three venues in six months because it's freaking insane. Um, but if that hadn't happened in 2017, I wouldn't have gone to Camosun. Like that wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have written my second book and I wouldn't have gone to Singapore. And so my Singapore trip opened the doors to me, what I was supposed to be opening a venue in Myanmar and Vietnam last year. And I had like, if COVID hadn't hit, I was going to be traveling eight to 10 times in a space of six months all over the world. Cognac, Spain, Ukraine. I was supposed to speak at the Ukraine bar show. Um, open a venue in Myanmar for a couple of months. Open a venue in Vietnam for a couple of months. And so for me now, like, you know, it's always rah, 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 like, oh, any, when a door shuts, or like when a window shuts, a door opens, da, 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 da. Like it, it, at the time, it, you can't think that way. It's just, it's mm. just gutting. Our industry is very passion driven. Business is a secondary thing. We do things for the passion of what we love, food, drinks, people, that sort of stuff. The dollars and cents don't matter, which is a, another hard thing with relationships that we can circle back onto before. But when it happens, you're just like, oof. But when you look back, you're like, oh, well, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have had all this success, you know. And I, I see FTW being a very successful portion of my career. But my book, I'm writing my second edition to that book. I'm writing my um, 
My third book comes out in May. Singapore. Um, at the moment, I've got eight projects coming on. I'm moving a distillery in North Vancouver. I'm doing two uh, projects for branding and logo design. I'm bringing out my own whiskey. I've got my own brandy coming out. Um, all these different things. And so now looking back, and maybe it's age and just just gain older and more mature, I look back and I'm like, would I have had, would I be in where I am? Would we be having this conversation if Foxtrot Tango Whiskey continued to be open? Probably not. Yeah. You know, so at the time it's, it's like you can listen to motivational speakers, which I don't think I am one, but like motivational speakers and they do all oh, like the, the whole window shuts, door opens, bullshit. Oops, sorry, Brad. Um, but um, at the end of the day, if you have that mentality of like, you know what, I'm just going to get over this and push forward. Yeah. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be painful. Yes, it's going to be emotional. Yes, it's going to be mentally taxing. But it's just business. Like, mm -hmm. it's not your mum dying or losing your wife or a kid. You know, it's not your house burning down, you're losing everything. You know, it's a business that you can get over and move forward with. And so perspective with that has really changed over the last couple of years for me in that it's just brick and mortar. It's just wood. It's just marble. It's great. It was awesome. But that's all it is. Like, I got my health. I got a beautiful wife and child. My my parent-in-laws who are like my parents are still alive and healthy. So it's all about perspective. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I asked that question. Um, Rachel here, she asks, what strategies would you use to motivate your team? So for my team... The ones that I have now, they're sort of, they are actually outside. We've been talking about this a lot lately because we're hiring a new person at Clyde's as a bartender. And we've been very, very particular about who we hire for the dynamic of the team. We've got a very tight team, very small, tight team. Um, for me, it does go back to that transparency. So for me, how I motivate my team is one, be completely honest. So I tell them our top line revenue, I tell them, how many covers we did. I tell them our per head spend. If our per head spend's a little bit lower than I'd like it to be, I ask the question and they can tell me, oh, it was just, a, it was just one of those nights where we had people come in and have one cocktail, then bounce, and that's why. Um, but I set them goals that are my goals as well in the way of this is how much money I want to make. This is what, how many covers we need to do. This is our per head spend. And that honesty and folding people in um, to the, way, the mentalities that you think of perfection and why we're going to get that per head spent and why we're going to do that cover count and just having conversations about them. I think, I think COVID has sort of pulled back the, the curtain and the, the curtain a little bit on this uh, mentality of restaurant ownership and, and hospitality operations of like, you can have a absolute horrible day. You can talk to your accountant and the accountant's like you're in, you're in loss, you're in so much debt. Like, what are you doing? And then five o'clock comes, you open the door and it's like, da 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 touching tables, kissing babies, running food, giving, like, and everybody thinks that you're happy and fine. Yeah. Whereas if you are super honest with your staff, and I think staff and guests alike, I've been saying this since the start of COVID, I think there's time for restaurant operators to truly be honest about how hard this industry is, especially in the food and beverage sphere, with consumers. Because consumers see you walking around in a suit, touching tables, kissing babies, selling bowls of wine and stuff, but they don't see that 
the late night crunching numbers and looking over P&Ls and stuff. So I think honesty and transparency is the root of it all because once they understand where you're coming from, uh, completely, like I'll tell them if we made profit, I'll tell them if we made loss, I'll tell them if we did this, I'll tell them anything they want to know about the business. That honesty and transparency automatically makes them feel like they're in the same, like it goes back to that everybody's on this, on going to the same goal but on different paths. If you tell them everything you want for the business and everything that is happening in the business, all of a sudden everybody's in the same vehicle and everybody's on, listening to the same music, everybody's looking at the same windows and everybody's on the same path. And so I think there's always this sort of cloak and dagger like, oh, I don't want to tell my staff how much money we're making because like that, how many people, I'm sure there's people in this room right now who have worked at a restaurant even before the pandemic where you thought the job was awesome and the place was making money and then you get a phone call from your boss like, hey, we're shutting up. We're, we haven't been out of like, autom- like with no notice, 24 hours, the place is shut, sorry. We're going to sell or we're closing. That's the thing is like when you have this sort of happy-go-lucky sort of mentality, that's the problem is that people don't really understand the realisms of the hospitality industry. So having that transparency and honesty with your staff, always telling them how they're doing, I, we have a WhatsApp message board for us and we like, they know they can contact me at any time, day or night and I'll answer messages. Um, as a leader, as a leader, your staff don't work for you. You work for them. And that's the way it works. Like if they need spec changes or recipes, I'll answer them straight away. If something is bad, like cleaning or the clothes wasn't tight or something was left unlocked, I'll message them straight away individually and say, Hey dude, like you screwed up last night. Like the clothes was rubbish. Um, and so that, that's sort of two way street and they can be honest with me and say, Hey, Sean, you were grumpy tonight. You're a bit of a bad person. <laughs> so I think honesty and transparency with your team is the best way to motivate them. That's amazing. Um, yes, no, I couldn't agree more with you on that one. Like, just having that openness, you know, and like being transparent also allows them to like um, come to you, right? As you said, like, mm-hmm. like ask questions and stuff. Perfect. Um, Noemi, what are some? Oh, we're getting the questions here, right? We haven't had a lot of questions today. <laughs> what are some things in your career that you regret not having done earlier? I think it goes back to like the the big like the big things. I don't really. I try not to live with regret. Um, mm-hmm. I suppose the okay. So the one thing that I probably would do, and I, I gave that advice earlier. You're like you're 22. You don't need to do it. I had. I have a 18 year old son back home in Australia. So at 22, I literally had a kid because growing up in a big family in the country, that's what you did. You turned like you're 21, 22. You had kids. You got a real job, and that was your life. Yeah. Um, but once I and and that relationship didn't end well. But like once I moved on, like work consumed me to such a point that I didn't really enjoy the space that I could have had. You know, if I if I had someone come to me like my if I had me come to my 22 year old self, um, I wouldn't change anything. Where I'm at is where I'm at. But like just go traveling. Like living in Australia, I've never been to Bali. You know, like I never, I never went, I went to Sydney a couple of times. I never went to Melbourne. So like Australia is a big country, but I really didn't enjoy my off time. My off time was my study time. And so um, that's one thing that I probably do regret as a, as a younger person is that I didn't travel as much. That being said, 
once I turned 30, uh, I did cognac five times in three years, you know, and I started getting the junket trips and I, I traveled a lot. I travel a lot now. So, but not that sort of happy go lucky, no cares, 22 year old, 23 year old feeling, go traveling for six months. Um, so they're the sort of things that I wish that I'd done when I was younger. But in hindsight, I traveled all the way to Canada when I was 26. So I, I bit a bit of both, but yeah, like yeah. enjoy your youth. Like you've got time. Like I still feel young now. Like, 